We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. scene kind of leads into what we talked about already with the uh the love making where we get <laughs> he basically mentally had a menage a trois with you know two different women and it kind of fucked him up actually yeah he um he, he doesn't really know how to respond to it and it's like and then of course i don't i, I couldn't finish i couldn't figure out in that scene because uh, after watching it several times if he finishes or if marianne stops the thing because of the fact i mean when she realizes he's not there it just kind of ends but he you know Kevin or Keanu's character kind of gives a look like he's already finished anyway, so it don't really matter if she's fine with it or not. He's done, so. Yeah, uh. I mean, I got the impression that he didn't, and the reason why I thought that was because Milton doesn't want him to finish. He doesn't want to get her pregnant, and then later on in the film we find out her ovaries she have, can't have a baby. have been removed or they failed, whatever the real reason is, she can't have a kid at that point, yeah. Yeah, so it was, I was like, there's no way. it. Either she's going to get pregnant, you know, which I didn't even think he had finished in her, and she's going to have some kind of um, miscarriage, or, well, we later on found out what happened. But, yeah, I, a lot of thoughts were going in my head about, mm, this isn't going to happen. She's not going to get pregnant. <laughs> um, I do want to say in that uh, that scene shortly after the subway, you know, where they have the whole fight, you know, they, they go to the prize fight and then they go to the, the Spanish restaurant or club or whatever it is afterward. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple of things I really like about that. You know, the first, the fact that, you know, Don King walks up, you know, a lot of younger viewers might not yeah. know who that is. But anyways, he walks up and he's, you know, he knows Milton and they're good friends. That kind of shows Milton's, you know, like reach as far as like how far he's gotten into the upper echelons of things. Um, yeah, but, it, but also after that scene, you've got Keanu, uh, or, you know, Kevin fighting with, you know, Marianne over the phone, very natural scene, everything, every line he delivers, I'm like, uh, you know, I, <laughs> there's been, you know, I, I've, I've had arguments that sounded like that before. So everybody, that dialogue was spot on perfect for like a fight between a husband and a wife. And then <laughs> there's a scene behind him that's lit up real quick. And I, and I don't know if you had a chance to look this after I ask you, but, uh, Christabella is in the, is in the room behind him. And right after Marianne hangs up with him, the light flashes on Christabella pops up, you know, I, I'm sure that's deliberate, you know, his, his wife pissed him off. So now this other, you know, person's popped up in front of him. But, and if you look and it's so quick that it's hard to see, if you look in her reflection in the mirror and it's, you know, of course that's a mystical thing. Mirrors are always supposed to reveal your true self and all that sort of thing but it almost looks like and it might just be the angle of it that her ears like a, a, a one part of her ear like that you can see it's kind of got more of a point to it and almost looks like demonic or something you know in that scene i don't know if 
you know, with everything they've layered in the movie, I wouldn't rule it out as being the case. It could have just been an artifact, of, you know, of the, you know, the film itself and me trying to pause it at a certain time to try to, you know, get more out of that, you know, but I, I thought that was a neat little thing if that's actually in the movie. Okay, well, if we're talk- I just want to verify we're talking about the same scene. So this was at, I'm assuming, that restaurant that they went to after the fight? Yes. The flamenco restaurant? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the person I saw in the room when he turned and caught a, a glance of them, I thought was a flamenco dancer. I did not get Christabella from that. Red dress? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and that might not have been, but I thought it was because when he turned around and he looked at her, he had that look like he has for Christabella throughout the whole movie. It's like, you know, it's like, Yeah, hmm, the smile. Know. I did catch that. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't, I looked, by the way, I tried diligently to pause this in time, and by the devil, could not get this to pause on the scene you're talking about. I really, really tried, but I didn't get pointed ears, but you know what I got? A demonic face. Okay, I didn't see that. Well, I So I, I got a blurry, weird, almost like we were talking about the nurses from uh, Silent Hill, just a weird, warped face. I could get the smile, maybe like it had that elongated, like you know, like the, the you know, whenever the you always see that in horror films where the mouth opens up and like it's a little too, the smile yeah. goes a little too far across the face. I almost got that vibe yeah. too, but um, okay, good. So that's what I was getting. I did not catch the ears though. I tried. Well, I, it's just it was a little thing in the background, and I was like, hmm, that's one little thing they've layered in. If that's actually meant to be that, and I mean, I can't imagine it because it's just like the light comes on. It's a like a little instantaneous thing. I could see them putting that in there as a little extra Easter egg or something. Um, yeah, just throw it on in. The only other thing I want to say about that, you know, right after that, the whole scene where Milton has got all those people around him at the table. Uh, it's another little enjoyable scene with Al Pacino. He's chewing up the scenery, just charisma everywhere. He's sitting there. Um, the the people, everybody at the tables, like, you know, and this is in particular reason I thought about this was because, you know, the argument between Kevin and his wife at that point is that he's partaking in, in a cigarette again. And uh, he tells her, it's like, I know it's not, it's only been, it's been seven months. You know, this is only one. Don't worry about it, which he lies. He smokes for the rest of the film if you watch like certain scenes. But, um, it's like everybody at the table is participating in some kind of vice like that. They're either smoking, they're drinking, you know, it's, it's kind of like showing like, you know, humanity's like, you know, just propensity to just like, you know, just gluttony and that sort of thing, you know, like doing all these bad things to, you know, your body. I thought that was an interesting little thing they layered in on that scene. And then, you know, Pacino during that scene, he's got like this, you know, pretty young blonde on his shoulder and you know going back to a previous scene because this movie always doubles back on what it you know it set up you know he, he told you know uh, Kevin at one point in, earlier in the film he's like you know he mentioned something about you know whenever he fucks a lady so hard that she can barely walk and she's like how did this guy do it this little guy like that like he gets this this girl to literally go down on him like in the middle of the at the underneath the table like in front of everybody and he's like smiling yeah. about it you know and I was just like you know it just kind of played into all that stuff like that he brought you know brought up earlier about how it's kind of power to kind of you know and of course he had that scene just before that where he was talking to some girl and he knew instantly where she was from and everything else about her and she's like how did you know that and, you know and he's you know that that's kind of his ability but I just thought that was it kind of showed more of his power you know, in that scene, plus, you know, seeing all those people around him, they were just kind of debasing themselves or something, you know, to his amusement, basically. Um, yeah, it was an interesting scene. Oh, same scene, too. Not not necessarily with the people around the table, but with the dancer and him. It was literally a depiction of a dance with the devil. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> I, didn't I even, was like, oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. They were all like, you know, and, and that's... Uh, 
there's a neat little thing that that uh, Kevin or Keanu does during that scene. He's fighting with uh, Marianne on the phone while that's happening, but then like he sees um, uh, Milton say something, or whenever he's really getting into the dance, he leans out and he sees Milton do that, and he's got this smile on his face, like there. He's like that guy's badass, you know that that like proud of you moment. He's he's got that on yeah. his face for like a split second before he goes right back into fighting with Marianne, and I thought that was such a neat little, you know. That was hilarious because I saw that. I was like, that was so like, what the fuck was that? His weird devil smile, which is, by the way, a Pacino smile because Pacino has the same smile in certain scenes, too. And I was like, they really did throw in some things to make these two look like father and son. Yeah, they, they're, yeah, that, I didn't even think about that, but that is true. That, that was kind of, that was Pacino, that was a mirror, like mirroring of, uh, Pacino's smile in that scene. It's like, uh, you know, I'm really getting into this. This is, you know, this is fun, basically. It's one of the few times in the movie where you see Kevin, uh, I mean, not, smile for that reason because you see him smile in other parts but it's always because of his vanity just like you know Pacino says anytime that Kevin smiles otherwise it's usually because he's won a case or he knows that he's like just so good you know what he does that's one of the few scenes where he smiles for you know like uh, it's like damn I just enjoy this you know that type of thing so yeah um we've already kind of discussed uh Mary's uh Marianne's similarities to Rosemary um uh, and then her saying that she's being tested and seeing the actual heart of all the issues, I thought that was good. Uh, I, the reveal that uh, Kevin's been played by Colin and Melissa Black both, I thought that was kind of, I mean, that was kind of a gut punch. Like, you know, if, especially if you're watching it for the first time, it's like you think that Kevin is on top of everything. Like he's, you know, yeah. he's leading it down the path. I mean, because uh, Craig T. Nelson's character plays it off so well he's like he seems pissed whenever you know uh, he you know kevin first brings it up it's like why are you trying to debase my character in front of all these people and he's like well he's like i want him to hate you but uh, you know and then you know but hate you for being an adulterer not a murderer you know and then we can spin it and then you know you see it on cold's face he instantly changes he's like oh i see what you're trying to do and he's like oh that'll work you know it it he plays it, you know, in that scene like it's a revelation to him. But, you know, finding out later that he's been working Kevin the entire time, that, you know, and that played into it. And that's the reason he was smiling. That's just, I don't know. It's just like a, such a, you know, just a pulling the rug out from underneath you at that point. Yeah, it was, you could see it too in his face. Like, he really portrayed really well that, like, I've been fucking played, you know? Yeah, he's like, he, he gets pissed. I mean, he's like, they, they lied to me, you know? It's like I didn't, both of them. And, you know, Milton's kind of gives him a look like, yeah, well, they were the entire time, but, you know, you were the one that wouldn't back down. So uh, it's kind of on you at this point. Um, I like the fact that the lighting of the scenes, they always had like some kind of red, you know, light or orange light or something like that, especially whenever it came to Milton's face. It was always kind of painting him in like those reddish yeah. orange tones or whatever to kind of give you that, you know, a little bit. And <clears throat> There's several scenes with Kevin where they do that too. When he comes into the, I think it's it's a, it's one of the scenes where he comes in and talks to Marianne. I don't know if it's the scene where she's seen the demons, or I think it's a scene later on when he's fighting with her. You know, after the elevator scene where she's seen him basically watch Christabella and some other you know hooker that she's picked up or whatever, kind of like you know he's seen how he's kind of tempted by the two of them and wants to go up Milton's office and they have this big fight or whatever. When you know it's around that time that like he comes in the room, there's like all this red light behind him that's filtered in and it kind of paints him you know kind of hints that what his true you know uh reveal is going to be as well um so there's a lot of that going on i like that about the movie yeah um, the ambiance in this film is really nice they do a really good job with that uh they have a lot of um 
there are little things like the fact that it's, and I didn't realize this till somebody mentioned on the internet, his suit gets darker. The farther his uh, moral compass slips, he starts out in like a grayish white suit, not perfectly white. So it kind of shows he's already morally ambiguous. So that's even a nice touch. And that's in that, you know, pedophile scene at the beginning of the movie. But then it, as, as he goes along, the movie gets darker and darker to where it's like pure black near the end. And that's kind of showing his degradation, you know, Kind of feels like his, like well, along with his character, but like his hair and everything else around him gets darker too. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, and there's a, and in his personality, he seems like he goes from being like this kind of fun, outgoing person to, to more of like, you know, he, he's hyper focused. He has to get this, you know, case. He has to, you know, win at all costs type thing. And it just gets more and more as the movie goes on. Um, yeah, his slipping back into the old vices of smoking that kind of shows he's straying from the path. He's you know partaking in these vices that he you know that that his wife had you know thought that he got rid of. Um, and the next thing I was going to talk about, unless you have something else, is I just like it's a quick thing that speech that Milton gives over Barzoon's death, like when Barzoon's getting like pummeled by the demonic, you know, uh, oh uh, yeah, old, that was old a good bums scene. or whatever. Like he's going on this big line about, you know, he's got this big speech about God's special little creature, and it's you know, it's it's such a good scene because he's basically talking about like modern man, how like we've we've gotten to the point where with science we basically think we're gods and that. We have no respect for the earth or anything that that the actual God created. And whenever things fall apart and, you know, and we're left to, you know, and we're, you know, I th- he, you know, lays it on thick about how your dick's sore and your, you know, and your, uh, and your eyes are, you know, uh, bloodshot and all that. And you're, you're, you can barely stand or whatever. Then, you know, whenever you're crying out to, for somebody to help you, who are you going to, who are you crying out to? You've already, you know, you were the one that caused all of it. It's your own fault. You're the one that's going to have to live with the consequences type thing. And um, yeah, that was a really good scene. Really good, really deep. I mean, and it was kind of, I liked how it bounced from Kevin and Milton to Barzoon. Yeah, Barzoon. (laughs) I was looking up different versions of his name to see if there's maybe a different spelling that would find out anything about that name. And I never found anything supernatural or special about that name. It just seems like a weird name. It seems like it should have had like some kind of, I don't know, a Nokian, you know, thing or something to it. I don't know. It just had this weird, like, I mean, it sounds too out there for it to be just like a placeholder, you know, or something. But Yeah, a lot of not of origins behind the name. So it was truly a unique name that was picked for the movie. But, um, of course, that scene leads in the, uh, of course, he ends up getting, uh, from what I got of the movie, it's kind of hard to tell, but, and that's one of the few nitpicks I have about it is whenever he's getting killed, it looks like Marianne's watching him getting killed, but it doesn't directly show like the spatial relationship between the two of them. So yeah. I don't know if she, thank you. I don't know if she's directly seeing it or if it's like in her mind that she's seeing it, but she she sees him get killed. It just it doesn't it doesn't specify you know that he's right in front of her whenever it's happening. So. Yeah, and you never hear her mention like I saw. You would have thought that at this point because she wasn't you know, institutionalized at this point, you thought she would have mentioned to him before she gets thrown in the hospital, hey, by the way, I saw Barzoon get killed by two bums, but they had weird expressions. <laughs> they look like demons. Something, because at this point, he's knowing that she's having, you know, hallucinations. Right, and he's already discussed with a doctor and says that it's they think it's hormonal imbalance or whatever thing it was that he said, and... So, and I'm, you know, yet another thing about Rosemary's baby, it's like nobody believes her and all the, uh, you know, authorities, quote unquote, are the ones that are, uh, you know, kind of uh, 
play or you know playing her off as being you know uh, just nonsensical and that sort of thing. But um, well, unlike Rosemary's Baby, though, in this film there was a time where she was like, "This person was with me, but that person was actually with Kevin." So it truly made her look crazy, not just sounding crazy. They, he was like, oh, my God, you're making this up. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't have anything else to do. My hands are tied. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, well, he was with me at the court, so you're clearly insane by saying that, you know. Yeah, and that was that was tough, dude. <laughs> um, that was a really vulnerable scene for her. <laughs> we'll talk about that because that was getting towards the end end. Well, is there anything you want to talk? I mean, the next scene I was going to talk about is just, uh, it was actually just skipping ahead to where they confronts him in the office. I mean, I know there's, there, uh, there's so many good things about this movie. I mean, I could go on about all of them. I was just kind of cherry picking the ones I like the best, but I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about the funeral some more, or if you want to talk about that scene with Weaver, you know, and, and no, the, the only thing just I, that the only watching, thing I would say about oh, Weaver, the only thing I was going to say about Weaver is I love that scene where Pacino like looks up at the camera and he's got that, that smile that he's got on his face is weirdest smile in the movie. It's just kind of like, you know, like a toddler who's like, look what I'm going to do. And, you know, it's like, and it's supposed to be like he's looking up at God or whatever. And then that's when he sticks his finger in the, the bowl and it, you know, and then the holy water bubbles. And then, you know, Weaver gets run over. It's just that one little quick scene of Pacino's face was, I don't know, it kinda, I thought it was kind of funny. But, you know, other than that, that's all I was going to bring up about that part of it. Yeah, he was like teasing <laughs> his finger around the bowl. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You little shit. Um, no, but it, I'm not going to bring up a whole lot. The church scene was kind of cool because, first off, I was thinking, how are these demonic people in the church? Um, you often forget that, I mean, technically they're part of the family, you know? Not not the demons so much, but Lucifer at minimum. He can be in a church. Why wouldn't Lucifer be allowed to be in the church? But what I did like that is instead of having Lucifer being sizzling and burning other than the water scene, the holy water scene, instead of having that, you could see the despise he had for every scene that was depicted in the church by God, of course. Everything that he was seeing was how God depicted it or how the Bible, you know, depicted it. Yeah, he, and in his mind, he's probably thinking that's not how it went. That's not <laughs> how it goes. Yeah, he had, And just so much disdain. Yeah, he had a real critical look on his face. I agree with you. It's like he was walking in there. He was looking around. He's like, okay, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. What's this shit over here? You know, it's like that's kind of the look he had on his face. Yeah, I really liked that church scene for the funeral. It was funny how it kind of was being treated by, um, what's her name, um, Jackie, Yeah. as a wedding. Like, people are walking down the aisle, and she's like, doesn't so-and-so look amazing? Oh, my God, she is stunning. It's like, it's a fucking funeral. And then she gets, like, all cozy with Kevin at one point and wraps her arms around the back. I mean, it's it's around the back of the pew, but still, it's like she's getting all intimate with him, and I'm like, well, are you trying to move in now? You should know better than that. That's not going to work out well for you. And then, of course... Yeah, well, she probably thinks it is. I mean, who doesn't want to be with the son of the devil, well, you know? I, I guess. But Christabella moved Prince in there, so she was uh, she didn't have much yeah. of a chance with her being in the room. Um, before Kevin gets to the meeting, though, and that's the end, right? We're talking about the meeting at the very end. Yes, but you're right that that scene where he's walking and the whole place, all of New York, is empty. That is a great little scene if that's what you're talking about. It is, yes, and it reminded me just basically of the parted sea. It reminded me. That's, that's what I got. It it actually reminded me because I watched it recently and I told you about this was uh, the. Um, the Omega Man with uh, Charlton Heston because when he's reminded me of that too (laughs) because when he's driving through the streets in that movie you know and they're all empty and it's like man this is creepy seeing like a big city like New York with nobody in it and it's like you get that same vibe from that one little scene 
Yeah, this is coming from Lucifer, though. So I was like, is this is this a mockery in my opinion? You know, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, and like come this way. Here's the path straight to me. Yeah, it's like he took out. He basically was controlling it. I didn't even think about that, but it's like he was controlling the people. It's like give him a wide berth, let him come to me. I've you know let him come directly <laughs> to me. One thing that I'm going to add a wide berth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I want to add though, and it's another thing that ties back into how good the the script was. There's a scene where Cullen, uh, you know, reveals that he has a gun on him, and this is earlier in the film. And you know, of course, Kevin's oh, yeah. pissed, and he's like, "Where did you get that?" You know, he's like, "Let me have that. I'll give that back to you once the funeral, you know, well, once the you know trial's over with." And uh, you know, I'm your protection is how he said it. He obviously doesn't give it back to Cullen because at that point he's fully sold on the fact that Cullen did the murders, and also as a pedophile, you know, he he knows this. But when he gets to Milton's office, anybody who might have some kind of like, where the fuck did he get this gun at? You know, because even Milton's kind of surprised. It's the same gun that he took off of uh, Cullen. I mean, they set it up earlier in the film. It's like, bam, bam. You know, it's like, that's where he got it from. And uh, It was not a useless scene because I was like, I don't know. I didn't, until I saw the gun again at the end of the film, I was like, what was the meaning of this scene? And it had meaning. And I appreciate that. It's, I mean, it's just one of those things where you don't appreciate it until you, you know, it's like, that's good script writing. I mean, you, you didn't put this useless fluff in there. I mean, the gun actually came back. So, um, but there's not a whole lot that, that you can hate on that, la- that whole entire last scene where he confronts Milton. I mean, you know, between the lore that's set up, you know, that, well, first of all, Milton revealing that he's the devil finally, cause he gets shot and it obviously does affect him. And then. Which was com- committed. <laughs> How do I pronounce it? It was just so comedical. How, how do I pronounce this? I'm not wording properly. <laughs> comical. Comical. There we go. We'll go with that. It was because it was like he was bouncing and making these weird noises like the Joker from Batman. And <laughs> it was a little bit annoying, but at the same time, it drove home the point that you're not going to fucking kill me. I'm the devil. Right, and then he has that whole scene where he's just like, uh, he's like, how did you think you did all this? He's like, you the 64 wins, no losses. He's like, because you're my father. And then, you know, Pacino has that great line. He's like, oh, I'm more than that. You know, I just, the, everything. Yeah, he- I love that because he doesn't say he's the devil. <laughs> he just implies. Um, but just every bit of that. And like, he, he even makes, he's like, so what am I, you know, what am I supposed to call you, Satan? And then, you know, he just right back to him so witty. It's like, dad. Just call me dad. Yeah, call me dad. <laughs> uh, it was genius. Um, but there's there's not a whole lot to dislike about any of that because that's it's the best you know you get with you know between you know Keanu and Al Pacino. Uh, you get I mean Al Pacino's just balls to the wall in that scene. He's letting everything go at that point. Um, you know he might be chewing the scenes, but he's doing it in the best way. Uh, you get this new lore in the movie, which I love. It's not, you know, the devil having a son is not the ultimate antichrist, you know, like in, you know, Rosemary's Baby or The Omen. In this movie, it's, he has to make, you know, he's made several Nephilim. He admits that in the movie. He said, I've had several children over the years. He doesn't hint, you know, you could probably infer like maybe Genghis Khan, uh, you know, Hitler, some of the worst people in history were probably his children. But, um, and I mean, that's just me inferring that it's, there's nothing in the movie that gives that away at all. Exactly. It was not stated, but you know, he basically, you know, says, no, I need two of my children 
to mate, and that will create the Antichrist. And I thought that was a neat little twist on it. It's like, okay, they're going one step further. He wants a grandchild because the grandchild's the one that's going to actually be the one that he, as he said, sits at the head of all tables. And, you know, which is another good thing about the movie. They use a lot of, you know, biblical, you know, quotes and like terminology and stuff to kind of, you know, even steep you in that a little bit more. Um, but, uh, and I, and I love how he reveals like, you know, in that scene too, he's like, I gave you several outs. He's like, he's like, you know, and then there's a scene earlier in the movie too, that I want to, you know, bring up where he's, he's so sympathetic. He's, he's like telling, you know, he, that's whenever it, it's a scene where, you know, Kevin comes to him and he talks about how Marianne's sick and, you know, and then. And Pacino sells it so well because you really feel sympathy for him because he's he, he's actually being sympathetic to Kevin. He's like, well, your wife's sick, man. Just stop. He's like, you know, take care of her. We'll be fine. Just go, you know, go take care of your sick wife. No, you know, you love her. Go do that. And, you know, that's another, you know. It was so fake but so real at the same time. Like the <laughs> meaning, like you felt he was being honest, but he was trying to give Kevin that quotation mark free will. Well, it's it's quotation mark free will. He knew that Kevin's vanity was, but I, I honestly got in that scene whenever because because he he dresses that because when Kevin says I you know that line about how you know if I did and she got better then you know I would hate myself I would hate her because of the fact that she took me away from this. Pacino, I mean, you know, Milton in this scene just has this deflated look on his face. He's like, you know, well, if that's how it's going to be, then, you know, uh, tell me more about the Cullen case. I mean, he he sells it 100%, whether, I mean, because he actually looks like he's, he's even though he wants the outcome to be that, it's he's disappointed that Kevin would actually, you know, do that to his wife a little bit. You get that vibe from him a little bit. Oh, um, yeah, Absolutely. Um, but anyways, in this scene, you know, going back on that, you know, he reveals, he's like, I gave you several times. He's like, you can blame me all you want. I didn't do this directly. You were the one with your vanity. And he's like, don't get me wrong. And I, and I love this part of it too. He's like, I, I love vanity. He's like, it's my favorite sin, but he's like, he's like, your, your problem is you're bringing all this guilt onto the top of it. He's like, just let it go. He's like, enjoy the fact that you, you know, chose to be this way about everything, you know? And, um, and that's kind of what he's trying to sell Kevin too. Whenever they're negotiating in their scene, he's like, you know, he's. I did like the negotiations. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's like, okay, you know, and I, I love how you know Keanu, especially in that scene, came back. He's like, so what are you trying to offer me, you know? And he's like, he's like, well, I'm offering you the best sex ever, the best, you know, highs from you know drugs, and and Keanu's like, I can get that already, you know, and that it's so good too because it shows how cocky he is. He's like, I can already get yeah. that. I can fuck whoever I want. What are you offering? You know, that's kind of where he's coming from. And, uh, and of course, Pacino comes back with, well, you can do all that and be guilt free. You can be happy with everything you do. So if that, you know, that has to, you know, get rid of the bricks, I think is the way he sells it. Um, and of course he has to throw in the stuff about how God, you know, there's that whole scene about, uh, he's a fan of man and how God's, uh, you know, a prankster, you know, that's putting on a joke, you know, look, but don't touch, touch, but don't taste, you know, that whole, that whole line. It's, it's all good. Like every bit of it. It is. <laughs> And of course, I was like, eh, my husband just thought it was fucking hilarious. So, you know, <laughs> and uh, then you have Christabella and she's trying to, you know, her last little thing of, you know, seducing him to try to get the baby or whatever that's needed. And and then I just love the fact that whenever he makes the ultimate decision and he kills himself, you know, it's 
you know, I don't know what that shows about the movie, and I've not really thought about it, but, you know, Milton kills Christabella, like, right off the bat. Like, you know, he, he sends the hellfire to her, and she's just consumed, and, you know, she, and probably the best, in my opinion, the best visual effects in the movie is her, you know, mummified or burnt corpse, but, uh, yeah. Like, he doesn't, like, he doesn't direct his anger toward Kevin. He directs it toward her. Like, he, he punishes her for Kevin, like you know. Like, she failed. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you were the cause of this, you you know, and so and and like and that whole scene where he turns into Keanu, like a you know that that's good and uh, that was cool. And a lot of people and and the wings that was cool too. You know that goes into the further thing about how he's an angel and all that that a lot of people forget. But uh, one of my favorite things that I heard about you know um, online that I didn't even realize is that whenever he's transitioning, Al Pacino. Actually, for a split second, they used his face from The Godfather when he was much younger before they converted oh. him over to, uh, you know, um, to Keanu. And uh, and how they did that was Rick Baker actually was best friends with a visual director uh, or the visual effects artist on The Godfather. And they had molds still of Pacino's face from that film whenever I guess they had to make like, you know, I don't know, molds of his face whenever he was, a you know, some kind of dummy that was getting shot or whatever was happening. And so... They used that mold to make the visual effects, so I thought that was kind of cool. They, they, it was way overkill. Yeah, I mean, a they, lot went into that like twenty second scene. Yeah, and it was only like a split second on that twenty that little scene, so it was like total overkill. Yeah. But the fact that they did it was cool. Oh my god! It was overall in general the final scene was just amazing on top of already amazing. And of course, they go after that back to the courtroom, and he finally makes the you know the ultimate decision, the the, the one that he should have made the right the, the first time, which is to just you know uh, uh, cut the guy loose, the pedophile teacher, and just you know even if it meant him being debarred or whatever or disbarred, then he just you know moves on with his life. Although there's one little thing I like in that, you know, I already told you about how Pacino revealed that he was Larry, the reporter, in that scene. Well, he it shows his face again, you know, at the end of the movie, kind of hinting, you know, driving that home. But it's but he is the one person that yet again he, he gets Kevin to do something Kevin didn't want because Kevin, when he's going down the steps with Marianne, because they've been reunited in this, you know, now that it's been reset, um, you know, Kevin's totally fine with being disbarred and not being a lawyer anymore, or at least he seems like he is. And, uh, he, and then Larry's like, well, what if I gave you the option of like saving your job? And we played this off as a sympathetic, you had to do this and all that. And you're a hero, you're a hero. And then like, you know, and then that he, he gets him, you know, he, he gets him one more time because Keanu's like, call me in the morning. We'll talk this over. And that's when, that's when Pacino changes. He's like, and then it says that little line about, you know, vanity, my favorite sin. So he, he got him. He got him one more time. Even when he made the good decision and did the right thing, he still got his vanity to work against him in that scene. I thought that was good. Uh, I was impressed by it. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of a little bit, which not really, but we talked a little bit about bedazzled. Yeah. <laughs> And how at the end he he makes the right choice, but you kind of still see the devil, you know, in the last scene. And I just loved how we got to see Pacino as the devil again, basically come full circle. All right, here's my second chance at making this happen again. Yeah, because he's basically, if he can keep Kevin as being a lawyer, there's there's a chance that he'll his vanity will win again, and he'll slip back into it. I mean, it might happen a different way, but he'll make the morally corrupt decision again and send him down that path. 
Yeah, but I wonder that if Kevin does that, will he remember his dad and will he remember everything? Is the devil going to try to, you know, get in on the sympathetic side? Uh, so many questions. It was such a good movie. They really, I mean, they could do they could do another movie or two well, on this probably. Speaking of that, there is the the rumor out there, and it's been, I think, floating since 2014. They made a, uh, Niederman made a prequel series, which was Milton's uh, ascent into being like the head of that firm. And uh, it's been shopped around as a TV show, but they have yet to, you know, really get anything developed out of it. But that would be an interesting prequel. But my biggest issue is I can't imagine anybody following Pacino in this. Like, I really can't. Oh, that would be so hard. Of course, it would be a prequel, so that would be the one way they would, quotation mark, write it off, you know? Yeah, but you got to get somebody that's got just that, just that that playful charisma to them. I mean, I don't know who off the top of my head could play that, you know, the, the same way. Um because I mean, you, they, you'd have to you'd have to get that vibe from them, that they're 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 enjoying life basically to its uh, ultimate. I, I hate to you know hate to say that about the devil in the movie, but that's really what you get from him is that he just enjoys Earth and everything that he's you know that mankind's came up with. He just he loves it. Yeah. You know, he loves partaking. Well, we in were all, all born it. sinners, Reverend. <laughs> so you know, there's that. <laughs> um, is there any scenes in the movie you dislike? Because for me, there's not really. Um, I felt like even though it was a two-hour-long movie, a little bit over that running time, it kept a tight story. I was, uh, you know, I, I loved it. I watched it three times recently, for the, and this is the first time I've watched it, which is a shame for me, but I wished I'd seen it in the past. But um, even though I've watched it, like, you know, several times back-to-back, back, you know, it's one of those movies, it's, you know, it's, it's deeper and deeper you delve into it, you see more and more things. So there, I really think there's more, you can get upon repeat viewing so even though it's two hours long i i enjoyed it the entire way through i didn't feel like it dragged anywhere um no that's the one thing i liked about this movie is the rewatchability that it was big for me because i and i don't know that you know this i i'm pretty sure i've stated it i feel like my husband's the only one that knows this that i am a one and done with almost (laughs) every film it could be an amazing film uh and this one i have watched three times recently as well just because the first time I had to kind of just enjoy it, and then the other two times it's like, okay, let's get some details from this. Um, and I can honestly say there might have been a scene that I was like, okay, what's going on here? But other than that, there wasn't anything that I didn't enjoy, the, the only, which is so hard. That that's it's that's a tough you know thing, but I, I agree with you. Um, the only thing, if and this is a total nitpick, and it's and it's not really that true. It's just me, you know, wanting seeing what I saw and wanting more of it. I felt like the scenes with Eddie Barzoon, where it was just him and and they were so infrequent. This doesn't even this isn't even really a critique, but the scenes where it was just him and Kevin made me wish that there was more scenes with just Kevin and and Milton. <laughs> it's just like, could you cut yes. those down a little bit more and get a little bit more Milton into this? And it, it, usually Milton popped into the scene anyways, but it's just like anytime I I didn't have Kevin and you know and and Milton you know going back and forth, I kind of felt like I was missing something from the movie a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's kind of good because that means you had more desire for Milton, and that's kind of what you want. You wanted that character to be there all the time. That's how good of a character it was. So I agree with you with that. Um, and like I said, not so much a nitpick, like you said, I should say. Um, it was just a, hey, this is I want more of this. Yeah, and and I I kind of feel like if I'd got more of that, it, it might have like took away the specialness of them or something too. So I mean, it's it you you. 
you you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. <laughs> you know that sort of you know line. But uh, but yeah, that's the only thing I can really think of. Other than the fact that I personally wasn't impressed with the visual effects for a lot of stuff. I'm glad that you liked them. I thought they were okay. It was just like I said. I I saw Rick Baker's name. And I'm like, really? He did this? I was like, the guy who did a you know American Werewolf in London. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, I, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, I always joke on the Rain Man show and, and Star Wars from the back to tank about being blissfully oblivious is the, <laughs> is the term I make for myself. Because I don't know enough about who does what in the industry and who is that impressive. I You know a few big names. That's one thing. Okay, great. But I don't know enough about that. So I'm able to sit back, watch this. Maybe I missed it. It'll bother someone more than it bothers me. And then I think, okay, this film was in 1997, and I'm watching it now, and I'm like, yeah, I dig it, man. I, I like the look of it. That, as long as it provides some kind of nightmare feel for me that I'm like, okay, I got to sleep with the light on, I'm good. I, that means I enjoyed it. I, I do like the fact that they kept a minimal uh, a minimal amount in the movie, though. I feel like get, keeping it more grounded and keeping it more just focused on the character interactions and the dialogue and that sort of thing was better than, you know, going into like, the, you know, like I said with Schumacher, his whole thing was whenever he was going to do the movie, he was going to have it very uh, FX, you know, heavy. He was going to have like all kinds of demonic stuff in it. And I felt like that would have been a cheesier movie by a long shot if they would have done that. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I think holding back worked really well for them. Um, just a little bit more trivia on it. Uh, the actual, the movie, whenever it got, you know, uh, kind of, uh, put away after Schumacher turned away from it. And it wasn't that Schumacher didn't have it. You know, he wanted to do a movie. The only thing was he couldn't find a good, you know, person to play the devil. That was the one reason why he couldn't get the film made. Um, but the reason that the movie came back on the, you know, the, you know, as far as them deciding to option it was the fact that the OJ Simpson trial was actually, you know, was what got them to think about it because whenever they saw the country's reaction to that and how captivated people were by it, they were like, hey, don't we have some kind of script about, you know, law firms and the devil or something? It's like, hell yeah, let's make this movie now. So it was like, you know, uh, it's, it's strange to think that the OJ Simpson trial was really what got this movie made, but that's part of the reason why it got brought back out. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. And I mean, man, you talk about like, what if they had skipped out on it forever? What if it was never made? Oh, that, I think that would have been lost because I mean, I, Pacino now is is good. I mean, he he's got some good scenes, and you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But he's very sedate versus what he was in this movie. This was the height of the hoo ha, you know, Pacino. Which exactly. You know, um. So I can't imagine it would have been just, I'm glad that they, I'm, I hate the circumstances if it was the OJ trial in particular that led to us getting this movie, you know, finally made, but I'm glad that it got made. I'll just put it that way. Uh, I say whatever worked. Okay. <laughs> um, it was Taylor Hackford, whenever he was hired, uh, him and uh, Gilroy, I believe his name was, the writer that added the part about Milton being the father of Kevin. That actually wasn't in the novel, and I think that's this movie would not work if it wasn't for that, I don't think. I think that's what the linchpin of this movie is, is the fact that it's father and son, and they worked all that stuff in there. Um, apparently in the novel version, Kevin, who was Kevin Taylor, ends up killing Milton, and then he goes to prison for life lifetime sentence even though he killed the devil he killed what everybody thought was regular man and so he goes to prison for life for it and that's how the well, that's yeah. how the book ends so i th huh. i think the movie's actually better in the book in that sense um yeah i'm gonna agree with that which is weird because usually the book is usually the book is better usually um 
Pacino was uh, originally turned down the part of Milton, and he turned it down several times. It took several rewrites before he decided to agree to accept it. Um, and did he have anything to do with the writing? He just didn't feel like the part. He he. I think who did he say that he wanted the part to go to? He said that. Uh, God, I can't remember now. There was another actor that he th- Robert De Niro. No, I was kidding. Who was it? <laughs> I was joking. I said Robert De Niro. No, it wasn't De Niro, which would have been funny. He he had another character in mind, or another actor in mind. Uh, I just can't remember what it was. I, I had my I had it in my notes, and I, I forgot to put it or transcribe it over. But anyways, he had another actor that he thought well, for the original script was a better fit. And then the more they rewrote it, because Keanu really was fighting for Pacino in this movie. And so when they went back, and they went back, finally he got to look at it, and he's like, there's something to this character. I like where it's at now, so I'll take the, you know. I guess he just didn't like how, like the... Uh, the character's motivation or kind of how it was portrayed it was maybe it was a little bit more out there and you didn't have all the what it became later i guess is what he was seeing but funny thing was is that he he watched the 1940s film which we will be covering at some point in the near future the devil and daniel webster for his inspiration on how to play the devil he actually went to that film and he and and i can see it oh, whenever yeah. whenever i heard that i can see it for sure and you'll and, and we'll kind of discuss this when we get to that movie but uh, the way that the actor in that movie, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. We'll get to that whenever we get there. But like he played the devil very similar. It was like he always had like he was having fun. He knew he knew people were just gonna you know walk into his trap basically, and he was just having fun with it. And that's kind of and I think that's what Pacino took from that that actor in this you know in that film. Um, Keanu Reeves turned down Speed Two to film this movie. That was a big pay cut. <laughs> Because he was going to get a lot yeah. of money for Speed Two, um, and you would have th- wow, you you would have thought that it was just because he didn't he he wanted to you know play the part you know and and he did, but his main reason was and I don't know how smart this was, but he just didn't want to do two big action movies back to back. That was his sole reason for not doing Speed Two instead of this. <laughs> okay, I mean, either way, it's worked out. He has done very well. So. Well, <clears throat> First of all, before that, he, he also took another pay cut. In fact, that he didn't wouldn't get Speed 2 pay. He took a pay cut, uh, actually, on this film, what he was originally offered, so that the production could afford to hire Pacino because originally they didn't have the budget to hire him. And, and you know, Keanu stepped up and said, listen, pay me less. Give him the difference. We need him in this movie. And that's probably... The sm- so basically he paid Pacino to be in the movie. He did. He, he outright paid Pacino <laughs> to be in the film. but it, He paid his wages. But it worked. Um, but what I was going, yeah. I was going to say is, Counter Reeves. At this point was a joke. Uh, a lot of people don't remember this because I mean, now he's John Wick. You know, he's done the Matrix. I mean, you know, Keanu's a loved figure now. But at the time this movie was made, he was at the slump of his career. Like he had done Speed. A lot of people just knew him as the woe guy. Like he didn't have a lot of emotion on his face when he was doing acting. Uh, this movie is what turned it around for him, and it's because he actually put up an effort in this movie, and I think he did a damn good job in it as far as his acting in the movie. Yeah, and you know what? The thing about him, too, is that he didn't really, he didn't really care that what a lot of people thought about him. He was more of just, I'm just a normal guy. I mean, he really does live his life pretty normally in terms of most actors and actresses. So, yeah, this movie probably kicked it off for him. And maybe he was a joke, but I don't honestly think that phased him. Well, I mean, I don't think it phased him either, but I think that, I think he realized what was happening, you know, as far as his career went, because, I mean, you hear him talking from the time about, you know, how he went into this movie, and he really, I mean, he really wanted to 
to do good on this one. So, I mean, I don't know if that pressure was getting to him a little bit about how he was kind of in a slump, but he he went through the research of, you know, actually, you know, talking to lawyers, studying trials, you know, kind of see how that all, all went. He actually went through the time of trying to, you know, get a better accent for the film. And like I said, that shows because if you, if you watch Dracula <laughs> before this, you'll yeah. see, you know, uh, you know, he, he definitely did a lot better job on the accent part. So, I mean, yeah. Um, another little bit of trivia is, uh, Charlize Theron actually had a hard time getting into this movie, uh, because the casting director thought she was too pretty to play the part. <laughs> they's like, you know, kind of what I was talking about earlier with my own thoughts. It was like, you know, you're so pretty. Why would Kevin, you know, stray away from you? I mean, it's harder to sell <laughs> than if we had some, you know, more down to earth, homelier person, you know, playing the part. And she said to that poor, poor woman, <laughs> she said, this is funny. This is, this is how she got the job. She said she went without washing her hair for uh, like a week or something, didn't apply makeup and then just dressed like baggy or whatever to kind of look more like, you know, homely looking or whatever to get the part. I just thought, I was like, wow, that must be hard to be you. <laughs> God, it's hard being so gorgeous. You're discriminated against in Hollywood, you know? Uh, yeah. Oh man. These yeah. poor women, I feel for them. She did go a lot uglier, though, as you've mentioned in chat or whatever about uh, when she did the monster movie. So, I mean, she she was way uglier than that. So She can do fugly, but this was not that movie. So, And this is also younger, Charlize. So you weren't weren't knocking that brick off the wall. (laughs) Um, We've already talked about Rick Baker. Just some other films he's done, just for instance, of how good of, you know, his visual effects have been in other movies. He did Thriller for Michael Jackson. All those zombies in that movie were his his creations like makeup effects makeup effects he did you know like the werewolf for you know michael jackson and all the zombies that were dancing you can't deny that (laughs) um and he also did the even though and we're uh, if we're talking about just you know computer graphic effects he also did the effects for men in black two and three and i feel like you know those are pretty good effects in those movies i mean you know so they were okay to me uh, what was that (laughs) I said they were okay to me. They weren't like, but like they're also meant to look. Some of them were also meant to look cartoonish. They're, they so are. So it, it sells apart. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. But anyways, um, so I mean, they and the one uh, one other thing is that uh, well, there's a couple other things, but Warner Brothers actually faced uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina level trouble with the religious art sculptures that were in the background of Milton's office. <clears throat> Oh, God. This is a big thing. Frederick Hart apparently was the artist that made... He didn't make the one in the movie. He made one that's, I think, in Washington, D.C. or something. It's in like a church or some kind of religious area, at least. And he and they... I, I'm, if you compare the two images, they outright stole his sculpture. I don't know who was the brilliant person that thought that was a good idea, but just like Baphomet and Chaos, they, they outright took this sculpture. Didn't really change much of anything. They, did, they didn't even fight it whenever it was brought up, so they, they obviously knew they were in the wrong. And um, it would have probably not been a problem, except for the fact that, A, it was behind the devil, so it was like this religious, you know, sculpture that was meant to like celebrate angels or something, you know, or like souls in heaven. And now it was like these, you know, creatures that were behind the devil. But also, there's a scene toward the end of the movie where they all start screwing. So I mean, you know, there's big orgy with them, and that's really bad if you're really religious and you thought that, you know, they were defiling your sculpture. So, um, yeah. So 
like I said, uh, everybody thought that it was close enough that they ruled in his favor. Uh, they had to change both the image on the, the actual movie poster and the DVD case uh, to where it kind of blurred out. I think it was the DVD case because I think the movies, they, you know, they kind of like squeaked it out. And then because the funny thing was they kept it intact for the first pressing of the DVD. So there's actually DVDs you can find out there that's got the, the sculpture the way it originally was intended the whole way through the movie. But whenever he got word that they went back on their, you know, what they said and they went ahead with it anyways, he fought them over it. So they had to change all the further printings and then all the, you know, covers on those DVDs all had like the, because the, it originally had that artwork in the background in red. Yeah, I remember that. They kind of had to blur it out a little bit and, it, and then it became like that new modern art look that it's got through most of the film. Um, there's even like... Uh, some of the even the DVDs, the back of them, they had to put on like a disclaimer saying, you know, like uh, we're you know we're sorry that some of this you know sculpture is this blah blah blah. Um, what doesn't make sense with all this though is the fact that they still kept the sculptures in the scene where they were fucking. So I mean, they took the one thing that really pissed him off and they left it in the movie anyways. So why go through yeah. all the trouble? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they got out of that either. Um. This movie was originally released in October of 1997, and it was up against the movie I Know What You Did Last Summer. (laughs) Oh, shit. And that movie did really well at the box office. Yeah, it beat this one in the U.S. But worldwide, it it was the winner. So, you know, I guess the the rest of the world didn't care so much for our little teenage murder, you know, stories like we did at the time. But um it was made for a budget of 57 million and it grossed 153 million worldwide so it it was a success it wasn't some of the successes we've seen with some of our other films because they were made on shoestring budgets and then made millions on top of that but it still did pretty well um all right rating i i mean if we're going by our scale and of course we'll read it off here for people you know caspers are you know we're, we're rating this as far as our like how scary a movie is one's a casper Two is Patrick Swayze or Sam Wheat from Ghost. Three is Bruce Willis or Malcolm Crowe from The Sixth Sense. Four is Mrs. Massey, the woman from 237 in The Shining. And five is Beetlejuice, Ghost with the Most. I have to rate this a Casper. There is nothing scary to me whatsoever about this film. <laughs> nothing. Um, great film, though. I mean, it's it's probably one of my favorites we've done so far, honestly. But as far as it's, you know, horror factor, to me, it's slim to none. So That's funny. <laughs> we are two opposite people, <laughs> and I love it. It's so funny. I was not expecting a Casper from you. Yeah, I, uh, there was, I was watching, and I was like, hmm, this is a good courtroom movie. I'm like, oh, there's some demon faces. Okay, good courtroom movie again. <laughs> so mine, <laughs> mine's going to be a Beetlejuice. This is my first Beetlejuice. Are you serious? And it's not... I am serious. If you, because if you want to know why, for me, it's the deeply rooted fear of the devil. I felt it in this film. You saw what he's capable of, um, you know, and then the demon stuff on top of that really, like, I don't know. It's not that it, I can watch a scary, scary, scary movie, okay? And not have a nightmare. But when I, when it starts going, against my catholic upbringing and the potential in my catholic mind thinks this badness is possible and can be out there that is where it gets me and that's where i will have 
dreams, weird dreams and nightmares for probably weeks and they'll just be sporadic and they will fucking get to me and scare me. And I love that kind of fear. So I did have that kind of fear in this movie. And that's why for me, it's a Beetlejuice. Oh, wow. You're probably going to die fright from the unholy then. Cause I mean, it actually had at least one jump scare that actually almost got me, like I said. So, and it has a lot. I told of, you, I, yeah, it's those kind of things, which I'm surprised I didn't really, cause I didn't even give the exorcist a Beetlejuice. No, you didn't. And you didn't. I mean, and I, and you, would you give a, the, the omen was a Casper for you, I believe. I mean, that at least oh, had yeah. some frightening or uneasy stuff to it. I mean, <laughs> Okay. I mean, this one just played so well with everything. And I don't even, I watched this as a kid and I wasn't even like scared of it. I'm not saying I was terrified, but it's scary enough that I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize this stuff when I was a kid. I was just glossing over <laughs> it, you know, and I didn't really get to watch a lot of it. My parents were like, here, cover your eyes. <laughs> well, I mean, I was like 15 or something when this came out. They were really strict, too. I, I, I mean, I can't fault you for that. I mean, people, uh, comedy's like, you know, and horror the same in the sense of, you know, two sides of the same coin. It's like, you know, what some people find hilarious, you know, others think is just dull and boring and then, you know, vice versa. And then the same thing with horror. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of, you know, like upbringing, a lot of outside things that play into your fears that you don't even think about. So I, I, I could kind of see Yeah. That. And that's for me what it is. It's like this, these are the things that get to me at the end of the day. You know, which is uh, zombie season is going to be really interesting. Letting you know that right now. Well, I mean, my <laughs> deepest nightmares are about zombies. So every zombie's going to be like <laughs> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh, shit. I said it three times. Yep. Now he's going up here now and we're all doomed. But yeah, he's coming after me. I, when it comes <laughs> to zombie season, I'm going to have to, it's going to be real hard for me to delineate zombies now versus zombies then because zombies are the movies that's gave me the worst nightmares of my entire life. But at the same time, they're the movies that I enjoy the most now. They're, they're like my favorite genre. It's like I've, I've flipped to the other side. I've watched them so much that I, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's like I've conquered the fear. And like, I mean, the only time that I dream about zombies now, and this is a weird tangent, but like, you know, is like when I'm having like some kind of anxiety from like work or something like that, it always presents itself in the form of a zombie dream. Like every time it's like my brain's like, okay, you've got some kind of problem that you're dealing with and you can't overcome it. At least you don't think you can. Here's zombies. Cause that's zombie what apocalypse. they are. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. So I don't know. It's going to be fun, but I, I, to me, cause our last you know, spe special presentation, we had complete opposite. Well, not as opposite as this one. We <laughs> really went off the rails with the oppositeness in this one. And I fucking love it. I'm laughing so hard right now. Cause I'm like, was not expecting one from you, but you were not expecting a five from me. So. No, no. But I mean, like I said, I mean, even if I don't think it's a scary movie, I, it's one of my favorites we've reviewed. I mean, outside of the, the Vivage, those are the two films that, I mean, I, I, I like some of the other ones, don't get me wrong, but those are two films that there's just so much to them and you can get so much out of the movie if you just keep watching it that I just, I, that's why I like both of them, I think. Yeah, the Vivich and this film, oh man, really good film. I think at the end of the day, despite what our scores were in terms of scariness, this is a film, we haven't said this much about other films, but this is definitely a film you need to watch if you have not watched it. I think you can agree with me on that. Oh, I, I agree entirely. I mean, I, I was, 
when I saw it, whenever I, uh, you know, I was looking up, okay, devil films for the season, like, what do we need to cover? And this came up. I'm like, what? You know, Keanu Reeves movie from the late nineties. What the hell is this? I was just kind of like, you know, I was kind of poo pooing it in my head. And then whenever I watched it, I'm like, I, why did I wait so long to watch this? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it's, uh, it, you just, I mean, sometimes you find gems like that, that you didn't know. And that, that's what I live for. That's why I watch all these shitty indie films, hoping that there's one diamond in the rough of all the turds that I'm having to go through to, to find it. So that's what's going to happen on this, on this show. We're going to run into a lot of scary movies that I have not watched. And I'm going to be like, why did I wait so long? <laughs> all right. Um, so we've got through the ratings. Is there uh, any kind of plugs that you'd like to go over before we uh, kind of kick it out here? Yeah, real briefly, uh, Blue Collar BS is on every Friday now, so we've been consistent with that. Unless, of course, you know, we're on vacation or something, and that's in this economy right now, we're not going to be doing that, not with the whole COVID-making traveling bullshit. <laughs> there, I said it, you know. <laughs> so there's that. Um, Hot Mess Express is when we can get all the bitches on board, so really no set dates on that. Um, and then Death Holler, you will continue to be getting at least one episode a month. From us, uh, main, you know, main episode every now and then we're coming out with special presentations because we just can't stay away from these scary films. So, no. you know, other than that, <laughs> not a whole lot of news. Um, well, the cameras are up. So if you want to see uh, the hubs and I, our ugly mugs on <laughs> YouTube, we are getting a little bit better about uh, posting the videos and the audio after we've rendered them so that they work together a little bit better and sound a whole lot better. So we're learning. We're, we're getting things up and running here. So it's real professional, people. You need to check it out. It's good stuff. Yeah. Real professional. <laughs> well, with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit. Thank you for listening to our third and final episode of The Devil's Advocate. If you enjoyed this episode, please look forward to our upcoming episodes where we will continue the theme, The Devil's in the Details. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS with your hosts, the Reverend Dr. Death and La Garena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.